Um, so this meeting will come to order. Welcome to the January meeting of the Local Agency Formation Commission. I'm Vice Chair Jackie Fielder, and I'm joined by Commissioners Dean Preston and Hope Williams. Um, our clerk is Stephanie Cabrera, and thank you, Stephanie. I'd also like to thank the staff at SFGovTV for broadcasting this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Vice Chair Fielder. The Local Agency Formation Commission is convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment. While still providing remote access and public comment via telephone, the Commission recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. For those watching either Channel 26 or on sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Once again, that is 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 24990486443. Then press pound twice. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions and you will be muted in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, those joining us on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker queue and continue holding until public comment is called. When it is your turn to speak, you will hear a prompt state that you have been unmuted and you may begin to speak. Please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to me, the local agency formation commission clerk at stephanie.gabrera at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via US Postal Service to our office at City Hall in 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Thank you, Vice Chair Fielder. That concludes my announcements. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And I wanted to give my colleagues a friendly reminder to please put your name in the chat if you would like to speak. And the chat serves as the official roster. So please don't raise your hand when you are requesting to speak. Thank you. Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Certainly. Vice Chair Felder. Present. Member Williams. Present. Member Preston. Present. Thank you, Vice Chair. You have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Madam Clerk, I'd like to make a motion to excuse Chair Connie Chan from this meeting. Commissioners, can I have a second? Second. Great. Moved by myself and seconded by Commissioner Williams. Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Thank you, Member Williams. Present. There's aye. 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 <laughs> Preston. Aye. Preston. Aye. Vice Chair Felder. Aye. Aye. Vice Chair Felder. Aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. Um, Madam Clerk, please call item number two. Item number two is a resolution adopting findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 24990486443 and then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the queue. The system will prompt that you have raised your hand. Please continue to wait until the system has said that says that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Madam Clerk, before we 
vote on this. Can we open public comment? Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. There are, are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item number one? Please dial star three now. For those already on hold, please continue to hold. There are currently zero call-in members of the public. Thank you. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. I would like to make the motion to approve these findings. Commissioners, can I have a second? Second. Moved by myself and seconded by Commissioner Preston. Without objections, this fine, sorry. Do we have to call the roll on this? Yes, we'll call a roll call vote. Thank you. Member Williams? Aye. Member Preston? Aye. Sorry, for the record, Member Williams is aye. Member Preston is aye. Vice Chair Felder? Aye. Vice Chair Felder, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you. Without objections, this finding is approved. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number three? Item number three is the approval of the LAFCO minutes from the December 9th, 2022 special meeting. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-048-6443. Then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until it indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Do any commissioners and have any changes to the minutes from the December 9th, 2022 meeting? All right, seeing, oh, sorry, no, I think we're good. All right, seeing no proposed changes, I'll open this up for public comment. Speakers will have three minutes. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on item number three? Thank you, Vice Chair Felder. Are there members of the public who would like to make public comment on item number three? Please press star three. You will be added to the speaker queue for those already on hold. Please continue to hold until you've been called. We're looking, there are currently zero callers on the line. Thank you. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Can I get a second? Second. Thank you, commissioners. And moved by Commissioner Preston, seconded by Commissioner Williams. Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Member Williams? Aye. Williams, aye. Member Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. Vice Chair Felder? Aye. Felder, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. This finding is adopted. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four? Item number four is a hearing on safety oversight of investor-owned utilities and status of the Golden State Energy Act, Senate Bill 350. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-048-6443, then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will prompt and indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'd like to also recognize that Commissioner Singh has now joined us. Um, thank you, Commissioner Singh for being on today. And to introduce this hearing, we'll first hear from Antonio Diaz from the Reclaim Our Power Coalition. After Antonio, we'll hear from California State Auditor and then from Murray Rose Tarek from Reclaim Our Power. Thank you all for joining us. Antonio, you have 
five minutes to present. Good morning, uh, Antonio Diaz here with Poder, people organizing to demand environmental and economic rights. And we're part of the Reclaim Our Power Utility Justice campaign. I believe we have a slide deck. I'll... Yes, I can share it right now. Give me one second. Okay. Sure, I'll get started. So uh, thank you, uh, LACO commission members and LACO executive officer, Jeremy Pollock for holding this hearing today. Uh, Poder as a San Francisco-based environmental justice organization has been active with the Reclaim Our Power utility justice campaign because we recognize the uh, uh, deadly failures and corporate malfeasance of PG&E and the need for accountability. Next slide, please. As we all know, uh, amongst the most catastrophic impacts of PG&E's failures, has been the uh, destructive wildfires that have caused not only damage to land and property, but deaths. PG&E's negligence have killed over 100 people. Uh, in, uh, in one instance, the 2018 uh, campfire, uh, the, because of uh, their negligence, it destroyed a whole community paradise. Next slide, please. PG&E's failures have cost all of us as customers uh, PG&E's so-called uh, public safety power shutoffs have put the most vulnerable in our communities, the elderly, the disabled, uh, the uh, uh, medical, medically vulnerable and low-income communities of color at the highest risk. It's clear that instead of investing in public safety, the uh, uh, investor-owned utilities priorities are their investors. Also, our rates have escalated because of this bad corporate actors have passed uh, their billions of dollars of wildfire mitigation costs to us, the ratepayers. Our members, the Poder members, the Latinx immigrant families here in San Francisco who have been disproportionately uh, affected by the COVID-19 pandemic have been hard hit by these rising bills. All this while PG&E's top boss got a pay package of $50 million in 2021. Next slide, please. Besides hurting our pocketbooks, PG&E's failures have also hurt our health. We can all remember those days in 2018, looking up at the orange-tinged sky and thick noxious smoke due to the uh, fires caused by this uh, corporation's uh, lack of uh, taking care of their equipment. Uh, and obviously that has a huge public health impacts given the, uh, the especially amongst the most vulnerable given the, given the, the uh, air quality uh, uh, concerns. Uh, you, uh, also, all of you are very familiar with the frustrating delays that we've experienced in San Francisco because of uh, uh, PG&E's costly uh, dragging of their feet on public projects ranging from affordable housing, parks, and other community spaces. This is this has this kind of uh, a corporate behavior is uh, indicative of um, of, uh, of PG&E's uh, uh, approach to uh, to servicing the uh, the region. Next slide, please. So basically what we're here to say is, uh, I point out is that there's a huge lack of accountability. Uh, the state, whether it's the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety or the CPUC, they keep approving th this reckless investor-owned utilities mitigation plans and safety certificates. 
All this while fires and destruction continue to happen. Uh, next slide, please. And therefore, obviously, we need the governor to act. You'll hear in a moment uh, the, about the uh, state auditor's report from, uh, from uh, spring of this past year that criticized the state's inability to uh, address the failures of PG&E. Uh, we're appreciative of S San Francisco's leadership, not only in pointing out PG&E's PG inadequacies, but, but also calling the, uh, the uh, corporation and the governor to task to bring about real change. We, have, we are here to ask LAFCO to ask the Board of Supervisors to act on the uh, state auditor's recommendations and demand accountability from PG&E. Next slide. Thank you. Thank you so much, Antonio of Poder SF and uh, the Reclaim Our Power Coalition. Um, we will take questions after the following presentation, but thank you so much for your work always. Um, thank you for continuing to hold PG&E accountable. And now we are really lucky today to actually hear directly from the California State Auditor, um, staff in the California State Auditor's office, Aaron Fellner, Senior Auditor, and John Klein, Principal Auditor, to present on their audit of the safety and oversight, safety oversight of investor-owned utilities. So thank you both for being here to present. Please try to keep your presentation to 10 minutes and commissioners will have questions at the end. Over to you. Good morning, Vice Chair Felder and members of the commission. Uh, my name is Jonathan Klein and I was the project manager for the California State Auditor's March 2022 report on electrical system safety. I'm joined today by Aaron Fellner, who was the team lead for this project. And at your invitation, we're here to describe the audit, which was re related to the California Public Utilities Commission, the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety, and California's six investor-owned utilities. There are three main issues from that report that we'd like to highlight for you today. First, that investor-owned utilities have at least 40,000 miles of bare power lines in areas at greater threat for wildfires. Second, the utilities use public safety power shutoffs 67 times from 2013 through 2021, affecting millions of customers. And third, that the oversight agency's processes do not hold utilities sufficiently accountable. Um, we'd also like to encourage you to look at other findings in the report available on our website and the interactive graphic we created so that you can review whether there are bare, covered, or underground distribution lines in your neighborhood. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Aaron who was the team lead on this project and will describe for you a number of details about the current state of California's electrical grid. Thanks, John. <clears throat> yeah, so I'll be describing the state of the electrical grid and the improvements the utilities can make to one, lower the risk of wildfire and two, reduce the need for power shutoffs. So approximately 75,000 miles of distribution lines in the state are located in high fire, uh, high fire threat areas. Now those are areas designated by CAL FIRE and the CPUC to be at elevated or extreme risk of wildfire. And more than 50% of those miles are uh, bare power line. Now bare lines are of particular concern because they are much less effective than other types of power lines at preventing issues that can cause sparks. And nearly half of the fire incidents that utilities reported over the last five years were caused by power lines coming into contact with objects such as vegetation. Now, there's a number of improvements the utilities can make to their power grids to reduce the risk of wildfire. Uh, the first method is undergrounding power lines. Now, utilities estimate that that costs approximately between $2.6 and $3 million per mile. 
And installing covered power lines is another method um, that costs about $700,000 per mile. Now, utilities have been slow to make these types of improvements. Uh, in 2020, utilities reported that they'd only hardened about 1,500 miles of power lines. Now, utilities don't even report where they've conducted that work, so we don't know if that was in the areas of highest fire risk. But even if it was, it would only constitute about 4% of the bare lines in those high fire threat areas. Now, because replacing power lines represents an enormous cost and may take decades to complete, we really focused on ways of ensuring that utilities are targeting the highest risk areas. And one way of identifying areas that need to be improved is to look at where utilities have shut off power in the past, because uh, that really shows where those lines have posed an unacceptable risk of wildfire. So there were 67 public safety power shutoffs from 2013 to 2021 de-energizing thousands of circuits and affecting more than 3.6 million customers. Uh, those individuals lost power for an average of 37 hours and approximately 270 circuits experienced three or more different power shutoffs in the same calendar year. Uh, further, over 85% of the power shutoffs were in or partially in high fire threat areas. Now, our report did not recommend eliminating power shutoffs as a mitigation tool. Uh, we reviewed reports the utilities submitted after 15 power shutoffs and found that in 11 of those reports, they described wind-related damage, including vegetation coming into contact with power lines uh, that could have caused an ignition had the power not been shut off. However, the damage that occurred to those lines illustrates the need for utilities to conduct additional hardening in those areas to prevent the need for power shutoffs when similar weather conditions occur again. Now, state law currently requires utilities to identify circuits frequently de-energized during power shutoffs and the measures that utilities have taken or plan to take to reduce the need for them in the future. But based on the impacts I've described, our report recommended that the law be changed to require utilities to identify in their mitigation plans the improvements necessary to prevent power shutoffs on frequently de-energized lines if those weather conditions were to occur. So again, we're recommending the law be strengthened to prevent power shutoffs, not just reduce the need for them. Uh, several utilities have reported that they anticipate reducing the number of power shutoffs in the coming years. However, this decrease may be related to utilities adjusting settings on their equipment rather than widespread improvements to the power grid. And that really brings us to utilities altering their equipment to trigger unplanned outages. Now, to reduce the likelihood that vegetation contacting a power line causes a fire in certain uh, conditions and locations, utilities alter the settings on their equipment so that the power is not turned back on after it senses a fault. Now, this program appears to be very effective at preventing ignitions, but it has pretty severe adverse impacts on those communities affected by them. Uh, in 2021, PG&E adjusted equipment settings that triggered over 600 outages, affecting over 650,000 people. Uh, those outages occurred with no advance notice, and they affected an average of more than 1,000 customers uh, per outage and if, uh, for about 17 hours in duration. And unlike planned shutoffs, uh, customers and public safety partners receive no advance notice of these outages before their power is interrupted. Now, although this may be effective method of preventing wildfires, at the moment, there is no requirement that utilities identify the sections of lines that are frequently affected by these unplanned outages or address how they will reduce the need for them going forward. Uh, that's why our report also recommended that the state law be changed to include circuits frequently de-energized as a result of utilities power setting measures and that this would expand the scope of the law to not just include power shutoffs but also equipment settings that tr uh, trigger unplanned outages. So now I'm going to turn it back over to John to just 
discuss some of the report's other findings and recommendations. So we had a number of concerns with the oversight uh, mechanisms that currently apply to investor-owned utilities. Uh, first, we have concerns with CPUC's audit process. The CPUC conducts audits of utility equipment to ensure that the utility is complying with CPUC's general orders, and this should be an important part of CPUC's oversight. But we found three problems with CPUC's use of these audits. Uh, first, CPUC does not consistently audit all utility districts. It audited fewer than 70% of power line distribution districts during the last five years, and it Secondly, it did not audit several districts that contain areas of elevated or extreme fire risk. Uh, notably, during the last five years, the CPUC did not audit the district where the Camp and Dixie fires originated. Uh, CPUC stated that it uses various risk factors to select districts for audits, but it couldn't provide any evidence of how it prioritized the districts that it did review. Third, we found that CPUC doesn't penalize utilities when its audits uncover violations. So CPUC has never issued a penalty as a result of an audit. It indicates that it only issues penalties through its investigation process and only for significant issues such as when individuals were hurt or killed or buildings were destroyed. Uh, although CPUC has found the same types of issues through its audits that it penalized utilities for after investigations, it said that penalties do not necessarily increase utilities compliance. However, if they're useful when a person is injured or dies or a building burns down, it's not clear why they're not useful when CPUC pro finds problems before a disaster occurs. We recommended that the legislature require the CPUC to do two things. First, create and implement a better audit plan. And second, create a schedule of penalties for violations identified through its audits and impose those penalties. Uh, we also reviewed the Energy Safety Office's approval of mitigation plans and safety certifications. So activities related to utility wildfire mitigation and oversight transitioned from the CPUC to the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety under the Natural Resources Agency in July of 2021. But because the staff, director, and responsibilities are the same, we refer to both the activities conducted at the CPUC and activities at the new office as energy safety. Um, one of the energy safety office's responsibilities is issuing safety certifications to utilities that demonstrate they meet certain criteria established in statute. Having an approved wildfire mitigation plan, which identifies the activities the utility intends to undertake to mitigate wildfire risks, is one of those legal requirements. In addition, the law requires that the utility must be implementing its most recently approved mitigation plan. However, the implementation of the plan is occurring at the same time that the safety certification is being issued, and energy safety cannot make an assessment of whether the plan has been implemented before issuing the safety certification. Uh, most critically, the state law does not include the utility's implementation of a prior year's plan as criteria for issuance of the safety certification. So, for example, when the office issued PG&E's 2020 safety certification, it noted that it had concerns about PG&E's implementation of its prior mitigation plan. Nevertheless, it issued the certification because PG&E had met the statutory requirements. We recommended that the legislature change the law to require that the Energy Safety Office must conclude that the utility has substantially implemented its prior mitigation plan before it issues a safety certification. Uh, our review of the 2020 safety certifications issued to PG&E, SCE, and SDG&E 
found weaknesses in the office's process for issuing them. Uh, specifically, we found that the Energy Safety Office had identified aspects of the three largest utilities 2020 mitigation plans that were missing or flawed, but it approved those plans anyway. Uh, the Energy Safety Office issued conditional approvals. This is a term not defined in law of all three utilities mitigation plans. Uh, the Director of Energy Safety stated that although the utilities were required to submit remedial plans, her, her office's analysis of those plans was not a condition of their approval. Uh, the Energy Safety Office revised its plan review process for 2021 mitigation plans and now requires utilities to address critical issues before it approves their plans. But its use of conditional approvals really calls into question the appropriateness of the mitigation plans and safety certifications for 2020. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions you may have about that presentation. I know it was a lot of material in a very short period, uh, but please let us know if, if you have any questions. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. And um, while we wait for my other fellow commissioners to put their names in the chat if they have questions, I have a question. So I'm hearing that the, the buck stops at the state legislature. That is where a lot of this can change, you know, requiring the CPC to have you know, higher standards for um, for their audits and obviously more robust audits. Um, how, what has their response been? And have you also had conversations with the governor about this? Uh, so we made recommendations to both the state agencies, the CPUC, uh, the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety and the legislature. In some cases, we made our recommendations to the legislature because the uh, agencies in question um, indicated they were opposed to making certain changes. Uh, we haven't had conversations uh, with the governor. Um, to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been any legislation uh, introduced on this issue to date. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Williams. Thank you so much for that presentation. I'm kind of oscillating between nausea and anger at, at what you um, just talked about, that uh, unknown 4% of the changed power lines in the uh, 37 hours on average without power. Um, nausea really came up when you talked about the Dixie fires. Um, I've met members in that community who, uh, and the perseverance and resilience um, and what they're up against is astonishing. I wonder, um, are you planning any future audits? So our work is assigned by the Joint Legislative Audit Committee. Um, we do follow up on our recommendations. So at 60 days, six months, and one year, we, we request that the entities we've made recommendations to provide a response. After that one year period, uh, any recommendations that haven't been implemented, we obtain a progress report on an annual basis. So that's the nature of our primary follow-up. Um, because the Joint Legislative Audit Committee assigns our work, um, I, I'm not aware of any additional follow-up uh, that's planned at the moment, uh, but anyone can make requests to that committee and, and then we will follow whatever they approve. I have one more question. <laughs> Um, the penalties that you talk about, how much are they and on average? Off the top of my head, uh, the penalties that were imposed as the result of investigations, 
in some cases, I believe they were in the millions of dollars, but I couldn't tell you for sure uh, exactly what they were. Uh, but again, to date, in terms of penalties imposed as a result of these audits, uh, there have been no penalties. Thank you. Thank you so much for your questions. Um, Commissioner Preston. Thank you, Chair Fielder, and, and thank you um, to both Mr. Klein and, and Mr. Fellner for the for the, the work on this and the presentation. Um, I, I'm curious about the, the, if you could expand a little on um, the comments you made around the uh, CPC, uh, PUC not uh, having, I think, not consistently auditing uh, the districts. And I, I'm just wondering, and, and that also included some of the very high risk um, areas. What kind of what response, if any, was provided on that? Is it is that is that lack of, of resources that they claim to do those or some other form of methodology where there's is there is there a method to the uh, to the approach? What, what did you get back from them in explaining that? Uh, so it's been a little while since we did this audit. Um, I'll let Aaron jump in if he's got a, an answer. Sure, here. I do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. Uh, the CPUC maintained that they uh, did have a, uh, a a process by which they evaluated the districts. However, they were unable to really demonstrate that to us. So whenever we would ask for that documentation to show how they would designate things as high risk, uh, and, and prioritize the, the auditing of their districts. Uh, they were unable to provide that for us. So that's why we made a recommendation to the legislature directly uh, for them yeah. to begin prioritizing districts in that manner. Well, and just, I mean, unable or un, unwilling, I, I'm just, I mean, were they claiming there's some kind of proprietary or other, you know, thing that they were barred based on some kind of privilege or, or, or something no, no, no. provided, or they just they just refused to turn it over? No, no, it wasn't that they refused to turn it over. They were they were indicating that what what they had done was in fact how they had prioritized it. So that the the way that they had pri the way that they had conducted the audit was evidence of how they were prioritizing the work. And so you know we were unable to see any methodology behind that to show exactly why they were selecting certain districts at certain times or uh, or, or when they would go back to a certain district. Yeah. Well, yeah, glad to see the recommendation. That does, I mean, to say like we have a method to doing this, but we can't actually tell you what the method is. Just look at how we did it. And that's our method. And draw your own. And it's a very strange um, and unsatisfactory way to to uh, to do that. But um, the, I guess the other question and just and, and sure Williams asked about the, the penalties. And I just wanted to to um, ask a little more about that. I mean, it's pretty alarming that they have never issued a penalty as a result of an audit, right? And, and you know, I think just demonstrates really, I think, not a lack of seriousness around the prevention side as opposed to the, the sort of more punishment and response um, side of this. But I, but I, and I, and I appreciate the recommendation to have a schedule of, of penalties, a little more clarity, but, but I, I guess I am, I do want to clarify. It's one thing to recommend that going forward, but I want to be clear on like what the, what the existing tools are, right? I mean, there's, there's no, there, there's no actual barrier to them issuing penalties or is there, I mean, that's my question. Is, okay. is there, is there any reason they couldn't do this now? Uh, Maybe. And, and, 
changes necessary to implement that, or they could be doing it now and they're just not doing it. They've had the authority since 2014 to issue penalties as a result of audits. Uh, they simply have not done so. So Commissioner, for example, uh, CPUC issued a $2.5 million penalty <clears throat> to a utility in 2021 for nearly 55,000 violations of a general order. So this was requiring inspections of distribution poles. And we found that the CPUC had identified the same issues in, uh, in, in their distribution audits. Uh, they identified 200 violations of the same general order in, in those audits and about 2,400 uh, violations in another one, but still did not issue any penalties. So again, we're we were finding the same issues in both the investigations and the audits, but the audits weren't resulting in any penalties. Yeah. Well, thank you for highlighting that in the in in the audit. I think it's a really key finding and recommendation. I, I guess just last question, really the same thing I asked about the 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 other issue around the audits. I, I mean, what what kind of explanation do you get back on why they haven't issued, if any, on why they haven't issued a single penalty as uh, stemming from an audit? So primarily their argument was that issuing a penalty would not necessarily increase compliance. They didn't feel that that would have an impact on the utility's compliance with the general orders. Uh, we disagreed with that assumption. And, and um, they, they gave you that explanation in writing or in person? Because if in person, I'm curious if they managed to keep a straight face while saying that. Was that delivered in writing or in person? Uh, I, I've, I've got it right here. Um, the CPUC indicated that penalties may be viewed as a, puni as a punitive method for gaining compliance, but they do not necessarily ensure an increase in the utility's compliance. So, yeah, that's all right. Well, thank you. I mean, that that's really like, I think, deeply offensive to anyone in the state who's been harmed by this. And I think anyone who's, who's serious about addressing these issues understands that if you allow business practices that would take money to fix to just continue unregulated until there's actual damage and then find the, the or penalize the company for the actual damage, uh, they will always continue uh, to not proactively prevent the harm in the first place. And I think it's really pretty shocking that uh, anyone in a regulatory agency would somehow suggest that penalizing people uh, based on problems in, in safety audits doesn't uh, help uh, protect and safety and prevent damage. So I appreciate uh, you all spelling that out and thank you again for your work. Thank you, Commissioner Preston. Thank you both, Mr. Fellner and Mr. Klein, so much for your thorough work and presenting it here at LAFCO. Really appreciate it. Um, at this point, we will now hear from Mary Rose from Reclaim Our Power. Thank you so much for joining and you'll have five minutes to present. Um, thank you, commissioners. Um, it is an honor to be here and to hear um, directly from the state auditor's office, as well as um, leadership from the ground in San Francisco from Antonio and Poder and those folks. Um, I do have slides. Um, uh, Jeremy or Stephanie, can that be pulled up? Yes, I'm sharing momentarily here. Wonderful. And I, I share um, Commissioner Williams' nausea and anger and um, Commissioner Preston's shock. Um, 
Reclaim Our Power is over 90, nearly 90 organizations. And we are the people who are surviving these fires and these shutoffs and the pollution and then um, uh, the rate hikes. And so this has very uh, real impacts for people and our health. And uh, we're looking at how to get out of this mess that's created by PG&E and, um, and seemingly not uh, held accountable by the agencies that are supposed to. And so um, I'm here to also present why we think LAFCO has a role in uh, getting us out of this mess, and in particular, studying an alternative to PG&E. Next slide. So from, from last March's auditor's report, what has happened since? And we see these massive failures on all levels of PG&E, right? So um, the legislature passed SB 884, authorized nearly 100 billion for PG&E's sketchy undergrounding plans, which will add over time, we'll get to an additional 400 a year um, increase on customer bills, whose rates um, just went up 30% um, in the last couple of years uh, through 2022. The CPUC also removed PG&E from its, um, one of its real mechanisms for oversight and enforcement and um, remove them from that process with no action on the fires, the Dixie, the Mosquito, or the Zog fires. And then just last month, PG&E fired thousands of safety workers, the workers that are you know, trying to prevent trees from hitting lines, all of that stuff. They fired thousands of them um, after PG&E was let out of probation. Um, then the wildfire mitigation plan that's supposed to mitigate fires, um, by through you know annual planning, they pass it again despite these massive failures. And then rather than funding community microgrids, um, Governor Newsom instructed the CPUC to cut the solar tariffs that folks depend on um, uh, to to like pay for their solar systems. And then lawmakers um, voted to keep Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant open, um, committing us to this dangerous um, form of energy. Next slide. And what we're seeing is, you know, the, the very top, Governor Newsom keeps letting PG&E off the hook. And so here, are, you know, uh, the Reclaim Our Power campaign started um, in 2020. And in the last few years, this is these are the major moves that we've seen, like, Governor Newsom not commit to actually changing PG&E. So in 2019, passing AB 1054, um, this is where the safety certificates, the, the sham process come from. And then also a bailout legislation in 2020, um, Newsom promises as we know it, but then enables them to return as PG&E to exit that bankruptcy. No big changes. In 2021, PG&E's wildfire plan approved by Governor Newsom and the CPUC, despite 60 documented fa failures, as the auditor's report was uh, 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 citing as well. And then last year, um, gover the governor declared PG&E safe, um, and you know the Office of Energy Infrastructure and Safety grants them the safety certificate um, to keep them in operation. Next slide. And so, <laughs> how do we get out of this mess? Um, 
So Reclaim Our Power um, has been trying to figure out how we, we get out of a corporate monopoly utility. And they're actually in 2020, Senator um, Jerry Hill um, authored Golden State, the Golden State Energy Act. And SB 350 um, was a plan B if PG&E failed to emerge from bankruptcy or if it fails massively again to operate its gas and electric services in a safe and reliable manner. But Golden State Energy has been collecting dust when we could actually be trying to figure out how to uh, create a replacement for PG&E. And so then next slide, this is where um, San Francisco comes in. We need to make Golden State Energy a reality and, and that um, we're asking you all at LAFCO to, to take that leadership um, with the Board of Supervisors to help us imagine an alternative utility with people and people's needs at the center. And so you could, we're asking you to recommend a study of Golden State, the Golden State Energy Act and how it can benefit San Francisco's grid because we think it is actually tied to um, how the rest of the service ter territory and the municipalities can, um, uh, can uh, get better service, get, uh, uh, become more safe and actually put energy in the hands of the people. Um, next slide. And so when Antonio from Poder um, talked about the, C the San Francisco PUC report, it's like, we know that <laughs> um, PG&E is preventing affordable housing from being built. PG&E is preventing um, health facilities from operating because as we uh, reclaim our power and energy democracy folks are, are saying, uh, energy is, is a human right and it shouldn't be privately owned because there are things that we need to live um, that are powered by electricity. And so the, our energy system and our utilities should be um, in the hands of the public, not the Wall Street um, folks who, who control PG&E and that we cannot um, change their ways. And so I just, you know, I, I'm new to who LAFCO is, but LAFCO, um, as I read about your history, you, you were created um, through um, voters and, and residents who wanted to create a municipal utility district, but have been um, prevented from doing so. Uh, we think that's that PG&E is a big barrier to you, but we think that you can actually still pursue your mission. You've tried to wrestle your way out of PG&E's stranglehold, offering to buy out its grid. And we think that uh, San Francisco's freedom, your path to freedom from PG&E, can also liberate other municipalities and customers that suffer under PG&E. And so we think that um, you, San Francisco is probably the most powerful city in PG&E service ter territory, can help us, the rest of us, accomplish this move for an alternative um, utility under, and we can start to do that under the law that's under um, Golden State Energy. And then last slide, um, uh, yeah, that Reclaim Our Power um, is here, we're organized, we're willing to partner with you on looking at that pathway to succeeding PG&E and into um, an alternative utility. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Mary Rose. I really appreciate your work and everyone in Reclaim Our Power's work to keep keep drumming on this. Um, you know, PG&E is, as you said, it's headquartered, I believe, here in San Francisco, just blocks down from me personally <clears throat> um, here in the mission. And um, I do want to uplift that. Um, we often think about PG&E and decarbonization as being pretty separate issues, especially here dealing with the CCA. But as we're seeing um, increasingly in the city and uh, Supervisor Hillary Ronan led a hearing on this uh, almost a year ago, um, is that PG&E is, as Mari Rose said, holding up not just one or two projects here and there, but dozens of projects across city having to do with affordable housing, having to do with schools, having to do with all these different important public infrastructure projects, um, and holding up a lot of our progress in decarbonizing our, our buildings. Um, you know, it, they're requiring ridiculous amounts of transformers all across the city, like more than a thousand transformers. Obviously, this is an issue with the city attorney, and there's been a lot of progress made um, in the courts related to FERC, and, you know, um, it's, there's still some stuff to, to iron out there. But PG&E is, uh, as the distrib distributor of our power, um, a pretty crucial aspect to decarbonizing our city. And so I just want to say thank you for, for, um, for your work. And I'm very curious to hear if, if any of my other commissioners have any questions or, or affirmations they want to share. Um, Commissioner Williams. I think um, I don't have to ask any more questions. <laughs> uh, just to um, thank you. It's, these things are always an uphill battle. And I appreciate your resiliency in this and um, the work that you all do and for bringing this forward. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing you again. Um, yeah, that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Williams and Commissioner Preston. Thank you. And uh, I think my colleagues have uh, have summed it up. So I, I, I won't repeat uh, what they said, but I really do accept to really thank um, all the folks involved in Reclaim Our Power and Poder and uh, other activists who are continuing to push these these kind of fights that are so long term against such entrenched interests and such inaction, you know, by by many state leaders um, are some of the hardest fights because there's not the kind of until there's the fire or the or the price gouging or the shutoffs or the thing that gets people upset. Um, in the moment, rightfully so, um, it can be harder to organize around uh, the longer term infrastructure changes that certainly LAFCO is committed to. And I'm sure I speak for others in saying that we we welcome your ongoing engagement, you know, with with LAFCO staff um, and appreciate your activism very much. Thank you, Commissioner Preston. 
Um, Madam Clerk, are there any, can we open public comment and members of the public, um, please feel free at this time to, to line up to share your thoughts on this item. Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. If there are any members of the public who would like to make a comment on item number four, please dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We currently have six callers with three in the speaker queue. Mr. Lamb, can you please forward the first caller? Hi there, my name is Shana and I support the Reclaim Our Power campaign. Uh, thank you so much to LAFCO and to the state auditors, Plader and Reclaim Our Power for continuing to shed light on the critical issues presented on today. Reclaim Our Power has been raising these issues with PG&E's wildfire mitigation plans and safety certificate for over two years now. Namely, that neither process leads to actual safety and the leaders of the CPC and Energy Safety Office who are appointed by the governor have not done enough to hold PG&E accountable. Seeing these concerns echoed by LAFCO and the state auditors gives me hope that we can work towards finding a solution for the PG&E problem. The Golden State Energy Act, a bill that was passed in 2020 to allow for a receiver to take over PG&E's assets, creates a not-for-profit alternative to the investor-owned utility who we know prioritizes shareholder and executive profits over safety upgrades. The time for asking PG&E to change is over. It's time for a new utility to serve Northern California that would break the monopoly chokehold on our energy system and allow localities like San Francisco to actually implement solutions to best meet the needs of our communities in the face of the compounding climate and economic crises. Please vote yes on the resolutions asking the governor to follow the recommendations of the auditor's report and to allow LAFCO to outline the needs for a study for Golden State Energy and what its impacts would be on San Francisco. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. May we please have the next caller? Hi, my name is Brian. Um, just want to thank the commission for their work. Um, I mean, it's really obvious you guys care about San Francisco ratepayers, San Francisco citizens, and appreciate the time. You know, it's, it's a little preaching to the choir, but PG&E raised its rates, you know, what, almost 20% these last two day, two years, 18% this year. And what are they going to do? Oh, they're going to start paying back their dividends. So, you know, really what they care about is Wall Street, and they're actually going to do the catch-up. So, you know, they tried to duck and cover and say, oh, we're going to fix everything. But really, as soon as they get a chance, it's, all the money goes straight back straight from California in San Francisco ratepayers into Wall Street. And that's just wrong. We gotta fix that. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Brian. May we please have the next caller? Good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Eric Brooks. I'm with the local grassroots organization, Our City San Francisco and the statewide coalition, Californians for Energy Choice. Uh, I just wanted to drill down into more specificity about what the solution would look like. So um, Golden State Energy, I think the best fit for this so that we could allow local communities to be even better for their local community on local benefits is for the, is for the state to just take over the wires. So the state would take over all the wires that PG&E owns and would still leave in place our local community choice programs and the municipal utilities like the one in Sacramento and allow communities in the future to do either one 
with the state controlling the wires. So it's a lot like the PG&E situation right now where local communities get to do municipal or community choice. Um, and that way, if the, if the state takes over the wires and it does not do what it takes to help local communities do microgrids and protect frontline communities and make sure there are renewables in frontline communities and all those local benefits, the law would allow local communities to do it themselves. And that would also make it so that we could do a municipal utility faster because Sacramento was the last city that did a municipal utility under PG&E, and they had to fight PG&E in court for 20 years to get control of the wires. So we need to build clean energy before that. We can't afford to be in a battle with PG&E in court for 20 years before we start building a local clean energy and microgrid network. And so that's that's what that would look like. And we did a big coalition did propose this to the state quite a while ago, but they didn't take it up. So that's and we could do that on the ballot if the state legislators won't do it, and they very likely won't because a lot of most of them are bought by PG&E, quite frankly. So uh, that I wanted to put out there. And then another really key solution, regardless of what happens on the state level, is to pursue the local build-out of a clean energy network uh, that I sent you all a letter about uh, that was signed by 18 organizations to get that to happen this year. We need to get that plan to move forward this year, and um, I'll be contacting you all in the near future about getting that rolling. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. We currently have seven callers in the queue with two in the speaking queue. May we please have the next caller? Hello, this is Gabe Gossman. I'm in District 5. Uh, I just want to echo pretty much what everyone's been saying and support reclaiming our power. Um, hopefully, Alaska can pass a resolution, which we do need to hold PG&E accountable. Just that their business model, I think people have alluded to this, um, it's all about, uh, you know, really making money. The CEO, I think, is actually the highest paid utility CEO uh, in 2021, paid $50 million um, as they continue to raise rates. But the whole the whole model from investors, CEO, everyone in the business, they're just trying to save money and not invest uh, in, in solutions and then also, you know, raise rates. But, uh, you know, the, the rates are just going to, um, you know, the uh, executives or investors, and it's not providing solutions. It's definitely not providing safety, and clearly things are, are going to get worse. So hopefully uh, Alaska and the city uh, can step up before, uh, you know, costs for people can continue to, to escalate. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. Vice Chair Felder, that was the last speaker. Thank you very much, Madam Clerk, and thank you so much to the public commenters for tuning in today. Um, thank you so much, Reclaim Our Power Coalition, for coming and sharing all of your amazing work. Um, really, really thankful for it. And seeing that there are no more members in the, no more folks in the comment line, public comment is now closed. Um, now, um, Commissioners, hearing that there's been no action to uh, stand up, you know, to make these audits robust and to fulfill the vision of Golden State Energy, I'm really concerned about the potential impacts on 
electricity service in San Francisco if PG&E fails and continues to operate in the way that they are. And I would love to make a motion directing Executive Officer Jeremy Pollock to work on a brief study outlining what would be needed for a comprehensive study of enacting Golden State Energy and outlining the potential impacts on electricity service in San Francisco of transitioning to Golden State Energy. Um, can I have a second for that motion? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Williams. Uh, moved by myself and seconded by Commissioner Williams. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Thank you. On the motion, Vice Chair Felder. Aye. Member Williams. Aye. Thank you. That was Felder, aye. Williams, aye. Member Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Great. Thank you so much, fellow commissioners. Um, and that item is now approved. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number five? Item number five is the Community Choice Aggregation CCA Activities Report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-048-6443, then press pound twice. If you haven't done so already, please dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. The system will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And now we'll hear from Deputy Assistant General Manager for Clean Power SF, Michael Hyams. And Director Hyams, if you can please keep your presentation in 10 minutes, that would be much appreciated. Thank you, Chair, uh, Vice Chair Fielder, and uh, good morning, fellow Alaska commissioners. Um, I do have a presentation, and if the clerk, uh, thank you very much. Can you see the presentation now? Yes. Um, great, thank you. Yeah, as long as you, yeah, there we go. Okay, great. Thank you, Vice Chair Fielder. Um, once again, I, I'm Mike Himes. I'm the Deputy Assistant General Manager for the SFPUC's Power Enterprise, responsible for the Clean Power SF program. Um, before I dive into the presentation here, first of all, I, I wanted to thank you um, for your last item and amplifying um, the state safety audit and, and some of the challenges that we've had with PG&E. Um, I also wanted to address um, the SFPUC LAFCO MOU, uh, which we um, heard in, at your December meeting um, and our last SFPUC commission meeting that uh, addressed this on January 10th. Um, at that meeting, uh, PUC staff, um, myself, presented the proposed MOU with our staff recommendation that the MOU be approved, and the commission authorized the general manager to execute the agreement. Um, during the discussion of the item, uh, the commission identified some areas of concern, uh, and commissioners indicated that uh, they would like more time to consider the MOU before taking action on it. Um, so my understanding at this point is that there are some conversations happening on this matter that will determine next steps. Um, so of course, we'll all continue to stay in touch with the executive officer um, on this topic and uh, we'll um, have more news in the future. 
Um, with that, I will jump into my presentation with the 10 minutes in mind. Um, so for the balance of my update, I'll cover our enrollment and service statistics, uh, new clean power SF generation rates, activities related to our development and operation of customer programs and um, power supply procurement. Uh, our Clean Power SF program continues to successfully serve customers and participation in the program remains stable. We've seen a slight uptick in our uh, program customer opt-outs over the past year. Um, our opt-out ra rate is now 4.4%. Um, that's rounding to the nearest tenth of a percentage. Um, and that's that's up about a tenth of a percent year over year. Um, and um, even though our uh, super green participation rate remains at 2.1%, um, that, that participation participation in that product is also increasing, um, mostly due to commercial customer opt-ups. And most of these opt-ups have come in response to the city's renewable energy ordinance, which requires all buildings greater than 500,000 square feet to take service from a 100% renewable energy product um, beginning December 31st of 2022. So uh, the additional commercial customer opt-ups, while they haven't moved that uh, enrollment number too much, um, they brought with them a lot of energy usage uh, and that has bumped up our uh, projected super green sales uh, to 8% of our total Clean Power SF retail sales and that's up uh, from 6% last year. So uh, about a 30% increase year over year. Um, we continue to promote um, uh, our SFPUC renewable power products to commercial customers uh, to support their efforts to comply with the renewable energy ordinance. And uh, we're expecting additional growth in super green participation this calendar year. At your last regular meeting in November, I reported that Clean Power SF was preparing a new generation rate for home electrification for approval by the SFPUC Commission in January. On January 10th, the SFPUC's commission approved the E-ELEC home electrification rate for customers of Clean Power SF generation service. As a reminder, the E-ELEC uh, rate schedule is available to customers that install electric vehicle charging, energy storage, or heat pumping uh, for water heating or space heating and cooling. Clean Power SF's new generation rate will complement uh, or pair with PG&E's new voluntary e-elect distribution rate, uh, which was required uh, to be implemented by the CPUC. Under the new rate, a portion of PG&E's delivery charges are replaced with a flat monthly fee reducing the per kilowatt hour delivery rates. The new rate employs uh, time of use periods and eliminates the historical rate tiers that increase distribution rates for usage above baseline amounts. So what that does is it removes uh, a disincentive to use more power, um, which is uh, uh, what occurs with electrification. The SFPUC has submitted its adopted rate package to the Board of Supervisors for review, um, and we currently anticipate that the rate will go into effect in February. 
Now on to customer programs. Uh, to start off, we recently prepared a summary of our 2022 peak day pricing program, which ended on October 31st. Peak day pricing is a voluntary demand response program that incentivizes large commercial customers to reduce their electricity consumption between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. on event days in the summer and early fall. Event days are called when the grid is expected to be strained, typically due to high temperatures. Clean Powers have concluded the 2022 season at the end of October and is applying earned bill credits to participating customers' January bills. This marks the completion of the fourth year that Clean Power Stuff has offered this program. We had 36 customer accounts enrolled in the 2022 season, representing a 16% increase uh, compared to the 2021 season. And we called 11 event days, during which participants reduced their electricity usage by about 61 megawatt hours. In comparison, the 2021 season had six event days, with a total demand reduction of 26.5 megawatt hours. So that's about a 225% increase in demand reduction for just less than twice the event uh, days called. So on the whole, the peak day pricing program continues to grow uh, and has successfully provided demand response from our largest customers. And this has occurred uh, during times when the grid is strained and greenhouse gas emissions from electricity production are highest. Uh, here's a snapshot of our other customer program offerings. This is a should be a familiar table that um, we've shown LAFCO in the past that identifies our operating programs uh, as well as uh, new programs that we have under development. We continue to offer net energy metering for customers that have solar on their rooftops. We also offer budget billing for customers that are looking for stable, consistent monthly bills. And Go Solar SF uh, incentives continue to be available for low-income customers that install solar panels. Last year, we launched a solar inverter replacement program that replaces essential inverter component, uh, excuse me, the, the essential inverter uh, component for low-income customers that previ previously installed solar using Go Solar SF. This program helps keep these customers' solar projects operating and we've seen a strong uptake for this program. I just discussed peak day pricing. Um, we've also reported to you in the past about our regional heat pump water heater incentive program that provides training and financial incentives to contractors to promote heat pump water heaters. We are working with our regional program partners now to extend this program, uh, which currently uh, is set to expire at the end of March through uh, to be extended through 2025. Uh, so that we can continue to foster the local market for this technology. We are also offering our new Super Green Saber program, uh, which provides 100% renewable energy and a 20% electric bill discount to qualifying low-income customers living in state-defined disadvantaged communities. And EV Charge SF is our newest program for Clean Power SF customers. I spoke about this program in November it's a new construction uh, electric vehicle charging incentive program that has been available to Hetch Hetchy Power customers and officially expanded to Clean Power SF this month. Uh, this is a quick reminder, EV Charge SF is designed to align with changes in San Francisco's building code that requires developers to provide electric vehicle charging in new parking lots and garages. 
The program provides financial incentives and technical assistance to both new and recent construction that is subject to the city's EV readiness ordinance. Uh, you can find more information about EV Charge SF on our Clean Energy Programs page at sfpuc.org. Um, and finally, we continue to work on new programs, including our Energy Efficiency for Food Services and Disadvantaged Communities Community Solar Programs. Um, and you can see our target timelines for uh, enrolling customers into those programs listed on the slide here. I know I'm in about 10 minutes, but this is my last slide. Um, so I'll wrap up. Um, I, I wanted to provide an update as well on our, our key power procurement activities. Um, first is our 2021 request for offers for renewable energy supplies and standalone storage. Uh, the PUC issued that solicitation on October 15th of 2021. Uh, we reported on the solicitation previously to LAFCO um, and uh, it sought offers of renewable energy supplies and standalone energy storage. Um, the, um, uh, excuse me, the bids um, were requesting offers of energy capacity and related products from new and existing California Renewable Portfolio Standard Eligible Renewable Energy Resources, uh, Renewable Energy Resources co-located with battery storage and standalone uh, energy storage connected to the California ISO uh, high voltage grid. Um, the solicitation indicated that the SFPUC had a preference for resources operating within the local nine county Bay Area region. Um, this solicitation has been met with challenging market, market and geopolitical circumstances that I wanted to mention to you that have limited new procurement op opportunities for the program. Uh, for example, over the past year, market prices for solar panels, batteries, and related equipment um, have risen dramatically due to supply chain disruptions uh, from COVID-19, higher commodity prices, and increased demand for renewable energy and electric vehicles that has outpaced the supply of key components. Uh, further exacerbating these supply constraints uh, has been geopolitical unrest, such as the war in Ukraine and a US Department of Commerce petition regarding circumvention of US tariffs for solar panels, uh, which suspended the import of solar panels from Southeast Asia and uh, increased prices locally, or excuse me, within the US. All of these factors have contributed to extreme uncertainty for the development of new renewable energy and battery systems as project developers are unable to secure firm pricing for equipment. These circumstances also contributed to requests from developers to reprice offers originally submitted into the solicitation. So in response to these conditions, staff requested pricing and project availability updates uh, from uh, some of the resources bid into the solicitation. Um, and uh, staff recently completed its evaluation of responses received and are moving into negotiation phases for the highest scoring projects uh, this month. Um, the second solicitation I have here uh, to highlight is our 2022 request for offers for renewable energy supplies. Um, this solicitation similarly sought uh, bids for electricity products from new and existing renewable energy resources and uh, energy storage projects. Um, we were seeking from this solicitation offers that could um, begin delivering power to Clean Power SF between January 1st, 2023 and December 31st, uh, 2028. 
We're currently targeting contract execution with projects uh, bid in from this solicitation by June of this year. Uh, and lastly, we also have some additional long-term renewable energy resource solicitations that are under development. Those solicitations uh, will target the procurement of new renewable resources located in San Francisco to support our super green and super green saver products and the disadvantaged communities, community solar program I referred to earlier. We'll continue to provide updates on the status of these solicitations in our future reports. And that concludes my presentation. I'm happy to take any questions you may have. Thank you so much, Director Himes. Um, really appreciate the thoroughness, uh, especially on the last slide. Um, colleagues, any comments or questions? And while I wait for your, okay, Commissioner Williams. Thank you so much for that presentation. Um, I had a few questions. I'm still kind of coming down from having a better scope of the deplorable behavior conducted by PG&E. Um, so I was wondering, I know that Silicon Valley Clean Energy offered a 10% discount for the ELEC rate. So is there a similar discount plan, um, especially for the middle and low income households? Um, thank you for your question. Uh, Clean Power SF rates, um, as of the end of December, uh, we're offering or we're, we're providing about a 3% savings to customers on a bill basis. Um, so one, one important point to make here is sometimes these savings are represented against um, generation rates um, or sometimes they're presented against bills. One thing that we've tried to do for the Clean Power Stuff program in communicating um, how our service, the cost of our service compares to PG&E generation service is really on a bill basis because people really understand bills. Um, so just I make that point because I'm not totally clear if the Silicon Valley reference you're making is to just the generation rate or it's to the bill. Um, but uh, as of the end of December, Clean Power SF was offering about a 3%, uh, a service that was about 3% uh, lower cost on a bill basis than PG&E service. Um, and that would apply to the ELEC rate that we proposed um, to our commission It was adopted on January 10th. Um, I mentioned at the end of December, um, because I think one of the, the callers uh, on the last item uh, referenced rate changes, we're in the process of calculating um, the difference now, um, given PG&E's rate changes uh, that occurred earlier this month. Um, so I'm, I, I'll provide an update, but the savings are growing is, is sort of the, the bottom line. Love to hear that. Um, and then do you know what the enrollment is for the super green saver for the disadvantaged communities? Do you know that number? Yes, I do. It's approximately 175 customer accounts right now. Um, the program has a capacity of about 1,200 um, total accounts. Um, and if I could just take a moment to explain to you how we've approached uh, enrollment in this program. Um, a couple of years ago, um, through a CPUC order, uh, uh, PG&E was required to um, uh, develop and put in place an arrearage management plan for uh, low-income care rate qualified customers who had arrears over a certain threshold. Um, the SFPUC 
a commission uh, authorized Clean Power SF to participate in that program. And the way that it works is um, care rate customers who have qualifying arrears are automatically enrolled into it. Um, and in exchange for um, uh, making monthly payments on current amounts due on their bill uh, for a 12 month period, uh, the arrears will be waived. Uh, the full amount of arrears will be waived and that would apply to both PG&E delivery charges and Clean Power SF generation charges. So that program rolled out around the same time we were uh, applying to implement our disadvantaged communities program. So um, we felt that there was a great alignment in the sort of purpose of these programs. So uh, we um, auto-enrolled all of the customers that were also AMP customers, arrears management plan customers, um, into the disadvantaged communities. At the time, there was a much larger number of customers, but that has declined. Um, so that's where the 170 comes into play. Um, the, uh, we're currently promoting the program for voluntary enrollment um, and, and doing that through various means. Um, but we are finding that um, the voluntary enrollment is trickling in. Um, so one of the things that we're in the process of doing is looking at expanding the enrollment into the program uh, into a, a lottery so that we can auto enroll to the full capacity of the program. So sorry for the long explanation. I know it's a little complicated, but I hope that helps give you a little bit of a flavor of um, that program, where it's at, and what we're doing about it. No, no, you made it very, very clear. So thank you for being so succinct. Um, one sillier question. You are not a mind reader, but do you have any ideas as to why the commission, the SFPC SFPC, their commission would have any holdups on the MOU? Well, what I know is, is what was said during the commission meeting. Um, and the commission, um, I think, was grappling with uh, um, the, the, the sort of who performs this work and that our utility in, in many of the commissioners' mind uh, should be conducting this work and is capable of conducting this work. Um, so I think that that was their principal concern that in conjunction with it being a significant amount of money uh, in the context of the whole um, of, of what we demand of our ratepayers, um, and as well uh, Clean Power SF needing to be competitive and nimble and efficient um, because it is in a competitive environment with pg and &E. Um, and I think we've also heard about all the increasing costs to ratepayers um, uh, that that are happening uh, on you know their their PG&E bills. Um, so I think th those were the themes that I heard from the commission um, when it uh, discussed the item. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Williams. Um, I have a couple questions that relate to the um, the e elect. And I was wondering, you know, to qualify for the ELEC rate, do you have to have a certain, you know, heat pump or cooling system? And I also wondered if there's been an analysis of how it might affect, um, especially low-income households who might have these kinds of, I know it's pretty rare, but I know um, 
I'm just interested in, in the disparate impacts of the ELEC rates. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And um, you know, to answer the last part, um, no, we have not yet conducted any analysis on impact to low-income customers. Um, and there's actually, there's been a lot of interest in this rate as we've presented it to our rate fairness board and to, the com and to our commission. Um, and we're going to be uh, analyzing this much more. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, where, where do we anticipate customer participation in this rate? One thing I think that's important to point out is it is voluntary. So um, Clean Power SF has a number of rates that uh, customers can take our service under. Um, this is a rate that is intended to address uh, what was perceived as a disincentive um, for electrification, right? Mostly on the distribution side of the rate um, of, the, of the electric service, which I wanna emphasize, um, which had increasing tier rates for more usage, um, that uh, leads to higher bills as a result of more usage. So um, that this rate provides an opportunity for customers to electrify and add this, this new equipment to their home without um, that consequence. Um, we have very few customers um, on this rate right now. Um, and, and I should say we are offering it right now on an interim basis. Um, it, it is available. Um, but the rate that the commission adopted is the permanent rate. Um, so we're, we're tracking it. Um, we're going to continue to monitor how many customers uh, uh, join. Um, and uh, happy to, to continue to share that information going forward. Yeah, thank you. I, I would love to hear an update about how it's going for existing customers. I know it was definitely needed, you know, having spoken to at least one household um, who was experiencing, you know, increased distribution charges. So um, thank you. Um, all right, well, seeing no further comments from commissioners, I'll open this up for public comment and speakers will have one minute. I apologize for the lack of time. Uh, it's just that Commissioner Preston has to jump off, I know. Um, Madam Clerk, can we open this for public comment? Thank you, Vice Chair Felder. Members of the public who would like to make public comment on item number three, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We currently have four callers with one in the speaking queue. Mr. Lamb, can you please forward the first caller? Good morning again, Commissioners. Eric Brooks with uh, Our City San Francisco and Californians for Energy Choice. I want to speak specifically to the MOU with the SFPUC. Uh, the reality is the SFPUC is tasked with being a conservative agency that is careful about rates and reliability and is not, doesn't, isn't a good fit for the role of what the LAFCO is asking to do under the MOU. The reality is the SFPUC has not done this work that we're asking for in the MOU and has repeatedly, for example, refused to do work to study large-scale financing for local clean energy build-out. That it should be in the wheelhouse of the LAFCO, where it's much easier for the LAFCO to be progressive and cutting edge. So that's the importance of that, and we can't have the SFPUC commission holding that up. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. 
We're checking to see if there are any other callers. There are currently zero callers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, all right, seeing that there are no more callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you, Director Himes. And now, Madam Clerk, can you please call item number six? Item number six is the executive officer's report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-048-6443, then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the queue. The system will prompt and indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait for the system to indicate that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And now we will hear from Executive Officer Jeremy Pollack. Uh, floor is yours. Uh, thank you very much, Vice Chair Fielder. Jeremy Pollack, Executive Officer for SF LAFCO. Uh, and I will keep my, uh, my report very brief here and I would just refer uh, the, the commission and members of the public to the uh, the attachment on the agenda for all of this information. Um, and I'm just going to go over the highlights of what's included in the report. Uh, one thing that is uh, was not included in the report that Chair Chan asked me to mention is that she has introduced a resolution at the Board of Supervisors to uh, support the LAFCO SF PUC MOU and to reaffirm the, the Board of Supervisors request for LAFCO to continue uh, oversight of Clean Power SF and that will be on the agenda for next Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting. Um, other things in the uh, the report um, is an introductory um, introduction of our Coral Fellow, who is joining us for the month of, of January, uh, Walker Wood Woodard, who is going to be doing a, a policy survey on policy options for promoting electric bikes, particularly for delivery workers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Coral program has conflicts on Friday, so he's unable to attend. So we might uh, see about having him present by video for our February meeting on his final report. Um, one update that's in the report about the Department of the Environment's pilot program for e-bikes for delivery workers is they are about to launch that program and they uh, just yesterday sent over uh, some questions on uh, sort of policy decisions on how to, uh, the, on the implementation plan for that program and particularly around uh, the criteria of how to select the, the workers to participate in that program. So uh, I'll be following up with all of you to see if you have any, uh, any feedback on that uh, with a, a deadline of, of early February that they're asking for us to, to get back to them on that. Um, the reinvestment working group update uh, includes a memo by our policy analyst Khalid Samurai uh, that uh, details the, the new uh, timeline for the working group and excited to see that uh, next month we'll be pre uh, presenting the first draft of the, the business and governance plans for both the public bank and for the municipal finance corporation. Uh, also in the report is a year in review memo that I wrote summarizing our activities last year, calendar year uh, that I'm planning to send to the Board of Supervisors and to the SFPUC. Um, and then a couple pieces of correspondence that uh, that we've submitted since our last meeting. Uh, we submitted comments on the EPA's Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. That is the $27 billion fund created by the Inflation Reduction Act that we are hoping to the city can access is through, uh, through some of our green banking efforts. Um, and then also we submitted a letter of support for a new grant application that the Department of Environment submitted to the Department of Energy, uh, federal DOE, um, for expanding the e-bike pilot program. Uh, and lastly, the report lists the forward calendar for the next uh, few months anticipated meetings. 
And in the interest of time, I will uh, leave it there unless you have any questions for me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Executive Officer Pollock. Um, lots going on as always, but it's for some reason, especially this new year. Uh, colleagues, do you have any questions? Please put your last name in the chat if you do. Um, I just wanted to share that and reemphasize the reinvestment working group updates that um, a major milestone will be coming in February. As Officer Pollock said, there's gonna be, um, the consultants are presenting a plan for the Municipal Finance Corporation, which is the like predecessor entity to a public bank. And uh, just yesterday, the reinvestment working group meeting uh, heard updates and the um, San Francisco Public Bank Coalition has submitted some recommendations ahead of the final business plans um, or final draft of them uh, to recommend some things. And I, I think I'll work with Officer Pollock to get my colleagues' copies of the suggestions. Um, but they range from incorporating recommendations from the um, reparations task force in the city and also um, emergency loans for small businesses. You know, as we're seeing the floods, we also see a great need and obviously help from the city um, in the form of grants to support businesses that are recovering from the flooding of the storms of, of lately. And ranging to non-financial support for community financial institutions and small businesses and vendors. These are just the recommendations of the Public to Bank Coalition, but it's up to the reinvestment working group to decide what they ask of the consultants. Um, but I'll stop there, so that's a lot. All right, seeing no other comments from my colleagues, um, Madam Clerk, can we please open this item for public comment? Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. Members of the public who would like to make public comment on item number six, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you've been unmuted. We currently have four listeners with one member of the public in the queue. Mr. Lamb, can you please forward the first caller? Good morning again, Commissioners. Eric Brooks with Our City SF and Californians for Energy Choice. Just uh, wanted to add one more thing about a previous item that uh, the executive officer will be working on, and that is this communication to the state about uh, Golden State Energy and, and having state-level public power. It's important uh, that we replace the California Public Utilities Commission with a, an elected statewide citizens utility board, and I wanted to make sure that that's part of the mix of the recommendations we send to the state because obviously the California Public Utilities Commission is trying to undermine uh, rooftop solar and other uh, local renewables, so we need to do that. On the other item of the SFPUC MOU, I think it's clear that we should no longer depend on the SFPUC or be forced to defend, depend on them for funding, and we should ask the Board of Supervisors to directly fund these type of programs instead of us having to go begging hat in hand to the SFPUC to get these things done that so badly need to be done. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. There are currently no other speakers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. And Madam Clerk, can you please call item number seven? Yes, item number seven is public comment where members of the public may speak on something within the purview of the commission that was not already spoken to on today's agenda. 
Members of the public who wish to provide public comment, please dial 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-048-6443, then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to be added to the speaker queue. The system will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait for the system to indicate that you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, this is a time for any member to address the commission. Uh, are there any callers in the queue? We are confirming there are currently zero callers in the queue. Thank you. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number eight? Item number eight is for future agenda items. Member of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should dial 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2499-048-6443, then press pound twice. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to be added to the queue. The system will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until it indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to item number seven. All right, I'm sorry, when we go to public comment. We're looking for callers. Okay, we have one caller in the queue. Can you please forward the caller, Mr. Lamb? Yes, uh, good morning one more last time. Eric Brooks with uh, I apologize, Mr. Brooks. I apologize, Mr. Brooks. We'll actually go to the commission first, and then you'll have an opportunity before they take any action for public comment. If you can please continue to hold on the line. Thank you, Ms. Cabrera. Um, commissioners, now is your time to share any ideas for future agenda items. I would love to talk next time about power outages due to inclement weather and how we're working to mitigate those because those will surely come in the years um, with increasing climate chaos. But um, seeing no, no one in the chat, um, let's now open this up for public comment. Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. Members of the public who would like to make public comment for this item, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, continue holding until your microphone has been unmuted and the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Please forward the first caller, Mr. Lamb. And as okay, a reminder- uh, Yeah, one last time, Eric Brooks, our city SF. Um, this is a local issue, very important. We need, um, and I've already sent text to Supervisor Preston's office. Now that global warming is becoming so serious and we're getting a lot more heat waves in San Francisco, we have uh, local rental housing ordinances which, which require heat to be maintained, but they don't require cooling to be maintained. And as we get more and worse heat waves, we're going to need to have laws on the books that require cooling in buildings to prevent uh, especially people with uh, compromised immune systems and elderly people from being harmed by heat waves. And so I would like to see LAFCO take that up. That's another issue that's uh, closely related to doing a local clean energy build out of the city as well, because we need to replace gas boilers with electric heating systems that are uh, much easier to control the temperature of, of, uh, in each room so that we're better protecting people's health. So I just wanted to flag that issue for the future and hope to see that. Thanks. 
Thank you for your comments. We're looking for other callers. There are currently zero callers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. So no other public speakers, public comment is now closed and there's no action to take on this matter. Madam Clerk, is there, there any other business before us today? There's no additional business before the commission. Thank you very much for clerking our meeting. Thank you, commissioners. Um, all right, there being no further business, we are adjourned. Thank you all.